0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 178. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, joined by my co-host, John White, at
1: vJourneyman.
0: Hey, John, how's it going?
1: Doing great, Nick. Hey, uh, I just want to remind everybody that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. And we hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you are subscribing and listening to us. And If you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at nerd journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take
0: a trip. Awesome, John. Thanks for that. This is episode 178 and marks part 2 of a discussion with Stephanie Wong, who is the head of developer engagement at Google Cloud. So let's recap episode 177, which was part 1 of our interview if you missed it last week. We talked a little bit about Stephanie's path into technology and some of the internships she was a part of, which are fascinating if you haven't heard about them. She was in the class of program at Oracle, got into pre-sales and then post-sales. And then she did something really interesting and said no to her dream company, Google Cloud. You'll find that she did get an offer from Google Cloud for the role that she wanted. And we also talk about her path into this arena of content creation. John, what are we going to talk about this week?
1: I just want to say, if you haven't listened to episode 177, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because... As good as your recap was like the actual conversation with Stephanie was just amazing. What a treat to talk to her Um, and a treat to listen to the episode back again. I think the thing that I want to have people like maybe listen out for is our discussion about that generalist specialist divide again, like that's come up again in a completely different context than it normally comes up. So just really fascinating to hear that, that pattern pop up. We also
0: dive into traditional backgrounds and untraditional backgrounds
1: in a different way
0: in this episode too. So listen for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was terrific. And then she talks a little bit about, you know, growing into comfort in your own skin when it comes to your job. I I thought that that was pretty cool. And then I think there was, a, there was like one last thing that you, you pointed out to me that was kind of, kind of neat. What was that again?
0: We're also going to hear some advice for the high school students out there who are a bit confused about what they should do. So whether you're a high school student listening to this, someone who is in college fresh out, or a parent
1: of one of those folks,
0: listen carefully.
1: All right. um, Let's not delay any further. Let's uh, listen to part two of our discussion with Stephanie
0: On a serious note, though, I I love your craftsmanship approach to the the content creation, doing it because you love it for the sake of the work and not being so concerned about getting it perfect, because I think a lot of people, myself included, fight perfectionism, especially if you can re-record it. The thing I love about live conference presentations is you can't re-record it. There's no way for me to do it over. It's over. Mm-hmm. But if I have to record it and then submit it, I can always make it better to the point where I may drive myself crazy doing so.
2: Yeah, that is actually a blessing and a curse. And that's why a lot of people prefer live talks. And they they feel more comfortable. And it's kind of interesting. I've seen people so natural, so flawless on stage. And then you get them in the studio and they forget how to speak. So it really is about just practicing. People all the time ask me whether speaking on camera comes naturally, but it really doesn't. Over the last four years, I've improved my speaking abilities tremendously. (laughs) I used to be very stiff and I didn't know what to do with my hands. And now I have a lot more expression. I can speak much more naturally. I've figured out what my voice and my style is. And I also, am much more comfortable with the content itself that I'm speaking about. And that helps a lot as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think we've noticed the same progression when we do the podcast. Like when we first started out, sometimes I would just have like observations without any questions, but that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Right, right.
2: just once in a while we get the john white observation right <laughs> that's actually
0: right. a test for the guest to see if you're going to respond and if not then he'll throw in a question but it's really yeah. it's really to test you
2: <laughs> okay well hopefully i pass the test
1: <laughs> that's that's my that's my story <laughs> stick to <into> it <laughs> so that actually naturally does get us back to that question that you know we um kind of started in with which was i know my experience At Google Cloud is that there's this massive portfolio of products and it's not shrinking, right? It's growing. You could be an expert at everything and then tomorrow a company has been acquired and their product is now in the portfolio or something new has been launched. So how do you stay on top of that? Or do you, or do you have this like fear, you know, constantly of being asked to like be an expert at something that you've never heard of?
2: i get asked this question all the time and my opinion of it has changed when i first joined devrel i was surrounded by some of the world's best engineers and they had pivoted from software engineering or other development jobs into google cloud or they got hired because of their expertise in their domain whether that being they were um, you know working on a prior company where they managed python client libraries or they were the database expert or a NoSQL expert and that's why we hired them so, for someone like me who was always a generalist, walking into DevRel, I felt so many shortcomings and a massive feeling of imposter syndrome. So, I never felt like I was really on top of everything. However, this team was very different than the rest of DevRel because the whole point wasn't to hire people for their expertise. The point was that we hire people for, yes, their technical acumen, but more importantly, their ability to execute content for developers quickly and effectively. And that was what we were trying to build from the ground up with a very strong culture. So looking back on it, my expertise isn't a particular topic or a technology, but it is the ability to distill these complex topics across the board for technical content creation. So I would say that is my specialty. And so I want people to realize that You don't have to have a specialization in the traditional methods that you might think of in tech. Like There is a whole world out there where you can have a specialization in tech that doesn't fit within the box that you see out there, right? It
0: sounds like they are trying to get people who are good teachers and know how to meet the audience where they are. That's what I thought of.
2: Oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. And that is a skill set that's not just in my team. That's for sales engineering. That's for a lot of roles in tech. Uh, if you can get good at that, you can be successful in almost any organization or or role. Actually, I think. And the other thing I'll say is that I had to come to the conclusion that that being an expert in one domain isn't me. Like I can do it, and there are plenty of people who want to be more specialized, so they will naturally gravitate towards those roles. But for me, I truly enjoy being a generalist, and I think I'm great at it, and that's the direction I want to go. And I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on that. The way I stay on top of things is being okay with, you know, staying on top to the extent that makes me successful in my role. And if I need to go deeper in an area, I can spend the time to do that, or I leverage the expertise of other people. So really knowing your your resources around you and the network that you have at hand is a powerful skill.
1: So fascinating. It It actually speaks to something that we've talked about and covered before, which is the kind of generalist specialist divide. And one of the conclusions that we came to was, you know, those terms can kind of lose their meanings. I remember when I was first leaving IT to to kind of focus on VMware technology, for example, you know, one of the things I was concerned about was not being a generalist anymore and just being a VMware specialist. And then when I showed up at VMware, I realized I was going to be a VMware generalist. <laughs> and there, were, there were specialists, you know, at VMware and specific VMware technologies. And then, you know, I was like, well, I'll bring in a networking specialist for that. And then sometimes those networking specialists would say, well, I'm actually kind of a networking generalist. Like Mm -hmm. if you are, you know, worried about like network audit, then there's a specific person for that or, you know, firewall rule. It, It just goes on and on and on and to more and more granular things you know until you're at the most granular level and and that person might say well i'm i'm not the developer in that thing you know i'm just mm-hmm. i'm just you know the person who implements it if you really want to talk to a specialist then you have to talk to somebody who's writing code to implement those things you know it's like it just it doesn't end right
2: yeah and that's why i think it's even more important to remind yourself of what you actually find interesting like what do you care about and just focus on that if you want to learn more and you want to work towards a job that requires you to learn more, then then do it. That's great. Just don't try to compare yourself to other people who might actually have more experience in that area. Um, that's something I really had to fight when I was in DevRel because again, I was surrounded by people who were experts in one thing, and the ways that we were getting measured were very different than how DevRel has been doing it for years. You know, so we had to define new metrics. We had to define how valuable our work was in comparison to their work so it was a whole years of building my credibility and proving to people and engineers that what i did was really valuable for our developer audience
0: did the people you worked with stephanie who were very deep in one area what was their attitude toward you as maybe more of a generalist coming onto that team and being a part of their group
2: i think that there was a lot of skepticism in the beginning, right? It's like, oh, you have a customer engineer coming to DevRel. Not sure how that's going to play out. And they're doing content, like online content creation. Not sure that that's really valuable for our audience. However, like I said, I had to push through it. I had to get through the imposter syndrome. I had to build the relationships. I had to put out great work and build partnerships across the org and executives that put me at, you know, more of a front and center role and get more visibility. And that's why I think it's even more important that you not only be great at what you do from craftsmanship point of view, but also build the relationships with the right people so that you get your work in front of the right people and they can really advocate for you. Because the director that ended up referring me to my manager and, and getting me hired, he was the one who truly was a sponsor in getting me to transition pay structures into DevRel officially, because that was a whole hiring process. And he was the one who advocated for my work down the line like the videos that i ended up doing giving me recognition publicly things like that and that convinced the rest of the org to slowly start to give me some more respect not saying they didn't before but you know it helped
1: it's interesting because it kind of maybe breaks the mold maybe you know redefining what the job is right developer relations Uh, Again, maybe I might be reading too much into this is like before it sounds like maybe it was a little bit more of like a in-person, like one to many type of uh, engagement as opposed to writing content, which is one to many. It's just like you don't know, like those many people aren't all sitting in the same room listening to you. They're separated by time and reading the content that you're writing Mm -hmm. or same thing with a podcast or same thing with a video, right? It's like you can measure like, and you can say I've reached the same or even a larger audience is just like, it's not concentrated in time. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that, you know, again, maybe that's just a blinder thing. Well, that's not how we're measured today. So, you know, if you're not doing that, then it, it just is different from how we've done it. So I can, I guess, empathize with the skepticism, but, you know, hopefully, you know, you have people around that say, well... You know, just, just because we've done it that way doesn't mean they're always going to do it that way. And somebody needs to be doing this other thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it made it tough because we were on the same ladder or the same evaluation criteria. Ah, so okay. there really was more of a reason to say, how do we know that their work is just as valuable as what I do? Because they get thousands of views on theirs. And maybe I did a conference talk for 300 people live. What makes one mm. better than the other? It can't be just pure vanity metrics like that. So what ended up happening was centering our evaluations more based on the complexity of what we were doing and providing value to our stakeholders, right? Whether that's product, engineering, marketing, whoever. So we really, really believe in that as a good measurement. Um, that being said, yes, it took it took some time for us to um, kind of build the right benchmarks and, and standards across various types of teams because DevRel isn't just DAs, it also is uh, made up of other engineers who support client libraries, who do more focused work like that, but sometimes do talks on the side. So the role is, it can be very undefined in some ways, and that leaves a lot of room for interpretation.
1: It sounds like another thing that we've heard of before, which is the tyranny of the metric. When the metric is one thing, and somebody comes in is doing something different, you go, oh, well, like that, you know, feels like a threat, or you know feels like it's not as important by you know the old metrics but again the the metric is just an expression of one expression of value and and if it doesn't necessarily actually measure success then maybe it's not the you know the success is the important thing and and the metric was just one way that we express that we need to go back and revisit
2: yeah i am not envious of people in the hr people ops teams doing performance evaluations <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah performance management is a whole overhead and headache. You know, I, I don't think we asked this before, but you know, I looked on LinkedIn, your title was head of developer engagement. Does that mean that you have a team working underneath you and are you a, a people manager at this point?
2: I am not currently, but I am about to, hopefully, we'll see. Oh, but okay. um, the way that that happened was last year, I had actually been tapped on the shoulder by my current director, he was a manager at the time, Who was speaking to marketing and they wanted a central figure to be the voice for google cloud the voice Mm -hmm. for google cloud launches for developers and they wanted someone who was going to come out with a drumbeat of content anytime a product launch happened and they would provide their own disruptive and very authentic takes on why these launches matter to the developer community i stepped up to the plate and took on this ambiguous role and helped actually totally define it and i built it from the ground up So I built a whole process behind it. I built relationships with marketing, PR, product management, product marketing management. And I essentially have my ear to the ground for any tier one, tier two, any launches. And I come out with multi-pronged approach to creating launch go-to-market content strategy for developers. So I'll do videos, a podcast episode, um, blog posts, like even social media and make sure that it is getting to the heart of what developers care about and not just the product announcement itself or, the, or marketing
1: and that doesn't necessarily mean that you are writing at all or being the expert at each one of those launches does it does it sometimes mean you're interviewing the expert maybe
2: yeah it can mean that but for the first six to eight months i was writing everything because i needed to figure out what my voice was and i wanted to be a true thought leader in the industry so that meant researching that meant, you know, taking in loads of information from different product teams, but I was used to doing that because at the time I had been in devrel fine-tuning my skill sets for 3 years, and that required me to take on projects from all these project teams, uh, from all these product teams, consume the information, teach it back, apply it and create a five-part video series anyway. But this time it was a lot more, you know, fast-paced and it was context switching even more frequently so it was actually a good progression for my skills and i thought it was a great opportunity to advance my career to be more of a face of google cloud and the voice of google cloud Um, and it since has been really rewarding i've also now started to build sort of this working group where i delegate a lot of the writing to them
0: yeah and it was through this building on your own that you're able to find your voice and your style that you mentioned before. Do you have any tips for other people who maybe haven't found that unique voice or style in whatever it is they do today?
2: Yeah, the biggest tip I have is to start to write and start to talk about these topics. Because two years ago, at least, I did a series called Eyes on Enterprise, where I wanted to create this sort of sportscast um, interview segment with experts to talk about various topics like security, networking, uh, migration strategies to the cloud. And I would try to ask these like hard hitting questions to the experts. I remember it was very memorized for me. Like I would ask the question, I would have maybe small commentary and then I would move on to the next question because I was so nervous about whether or not I knew how to respond adequately, right? But just through repeating that process so many times and doing a lot of research and, and then I picked up the podcast in 2021, I just kind of put myself out there beyond my comfort zone. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just get thrown into the fire. If I don't know something, I just ask from a point of pure curiosity and not being the expert in the room. And eventually I just started to to roll with the punches and be able to respond and know how to talk about Kubernetes, to networking, to compute at a certain depth very comfortably now.
1: It's funny. What I heard was it took time.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, be patient. That's the, that's the lesson here. It's
1: and you acquired depth like over time, like through repeated exposure. It sounded like and that that level of comfort was again something that you gained gained over time with repeated exposure.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if you know this strategy, but even for folks in universities and schools, or just anyone learning, when you read a book or you read a white paper consuming the information the first time, you're only going to retain like 20% of it, right? It's only the next time, even if you highlight things in the book, it's, you know, you can only retain so much of it. It's only when you play that back and you start writing everything you remember down on a book, that's when you start doing that information, what what would you call it? It's like you're retrieving that information and you're applying that knowledge and you're teaching back to others. That's when you start learning.
0: Analysis or synthesis,
1: one of the isn't that like the top of the learning pyramid? Mm-hmm. We did this um discussion a while back on actually like uh on deep learning, it was a big part of it. How do you actually learn something deeply and, and replay it? And a big part of that that answer it seemed to be like uh was teaching it right. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the writing down was important, and writing it down, like, oftentimes when you're taking notes like, the person that you're teaching is, like, your future self. I'm writing this down so that when I come back and pick this up, like, the, you know, I'll be able to have these highlights and triggers to other parts of my memory. But even if I don't trigger those parts of my memory, then I'm going to leave myself breadcrumbs to to be able to pick those things back up. Mm-hmm. And eventually you progress to not just teaching yourself, but teaching other people. until Until you do that, like, you know, it's it's really difficult to to say like, oh, I am an expert that at this thing or I have like deep knowledge of this thing if you can't explain it to somebody else. Exactly. That's like yeah. a level of knowledge. Like no and not everybody's a good teacher. You know, you can be a good doer and not a good teacher, but to be able to explain a concept to somebody like that really is one test of of actual knowledge of that concept.
2: Yeah. And that's honestly of what I do in my job is distilling complex topics into engaging fun narratives that actually delight developers because developers are people and they want to be delighted, not just talked at. And everybody has a different learning style too, visual, reading, listening. And so my job is to break things down and what we call shard the content, like database sharding, like you maximize your reach by converting your content into different formats.
1: One thing that I wanted to to comment on, like that that idea of sharding, like that I, I've always found fascinating. It's like this idea that like once you break something down into bite-sized pieces, kind of like consumable units, you're kind of breaking it down. I, I, I don't know, different people break things down in different ways and it kind of reflects how their brain works. You know, how you shard something reflects how you think about something. You know, those different ways of, of thinking about things are they're not more or less valid from person to person. It's just different. Our brains work differently sometimes. And yeah. uh, that that's a fascinating thing to see how, you know, person A shards complex content into more understandable pieces and how person B does it. Actually, you know, I'm sorry, this might be a little bit of a rough transition, but that actually sparks a different thought. And, and that is the idea of like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know that that's something that in my experience, like Google Cloud has been, you know, very proud of how has your experience of that topic been like a benefit or a hindrance in your career? Have you come across people who thought, oh, wow, you know, different people with different topics or uh, different ways of thinking and different backgrounds, that's going to be a benefit to our team or has it been like more of a hindrance?
2: It's always been a benefit in my experience. I mean, I guess I'll ask that question back to you. Do you mean my identity or the makeup of the people that I've always worked with and the culture that it's provided?
1: Oh, that's an interesting way to reflect that thing back to me, because I think I don't necessarily think about it that way. I guess when you talk about diversity, you could think about that as just diversity of thought or diversity of... background but it could be diversity of like ethnic identity identity and diversity of like cultural background so i guess my answer is
2: both yeah so i think in terms of diversity of thought that's always been great on my teams at least because like you said people break things down differently and a lot of people get hung up on whether they're creating a blog post correctly because there is a right or a wrong way to do it but i think honestly audiences appreciate how you learn to do it they want to follow your journey how did you pick up this concept walk me through the demo that you built cuz a lot of times you you know more than them based on the role that you're in and so i really think all the content that we create on this team is is really valuable and we do have some guidance on how to create content quickly by using a really proven method of like problem solution or a five point argument models to help you get your ideas on paper. But when it comes down to it, learning and applying that knowledge on paper is is, is really great to start with. I also think that this is kind of related to imposter syndrome because people get hung up on this idea that they aren't adequate on their team because they have a different background like I did. And I have a different way of learning concepts or a different understanding of something. And many times it's because when you look at teams in tech, you might not see someone that has the same background as you or even looks like you. Um, And so to get over that, you really have to just put more content out there in the way that you learned it, your own perspective. And I I think that's actually a step towards having better representation or or diversity of thought. In terms of my identity, I think in the beginning of my career, there were some microaggressions, You know like you only got to where you are because xyz or you didn't get to this because of xyz or uh, you know i'm a pageant queen in my in my past and i'm a dancer and maybe some people have their own misconceptions or stereotypes about that but honestly like in the most recent years and actually for the most part of my career it's been great because i have realized that being proud of who you are and bringing all of your external interests out in the open is great because you control the narrative. There's, You're not leaving any room for interpretation. You're not letting anybody have their, well, they can have their own opinions, but they might not say it to you because you're controlling the narrative externally. So I am just loud and proud about my dance background and my pageant background because I think it's so important to showcase to other people that they can be multidimensional people in tech, especially for women, especially for women of color. That's the way I see it and I think it served me really well. I will say when I first joined, engineering, I was very scared that that background would not help me because I had to look and act like a stereotypical engineer who's like very like heads down, serious, like coded. And that just like, wasn't really me at my heart. And so for the longest time until very recently, I felt like I needed to change who I was.
1: So I'm going to ask if this is an appropriate analogy um because i've come across that exact same thing in dance people think when they're learning how to dance or you know learning something that they need to look a certain way and so they will take on what they think that person is supposed to look like when they're doing that thing in this you know analogy dance i think that hip hop dancers look and act like this so when i try to do that thing i will start to act and look like what, in my mind, that group looks like. At least in my observation, that exact same thing, that thing happened in swing dance, right? Oh, my vision of somebody who is a professional swing dancer looks like this and they act like this, therefore, when I'm learning this, I will look and act like that. This idea and stereotype that they have in their mind. So is that a little bit of what you're talking about when looking and acting like a developer
2: yeah i mean it was part there's a couple angles to it it was the technical component like i okay i need to learn these skill sets and i need to be great at programming and at least one language proficiently uh, or advanced and i need to truly enjoy doing live demos i need to go do live talks and all of my content needs to be level 200 or you know more You know, I also didn't feel that I could like be super fashionable at work because I was like, oh, I need to be like a serious engineer who like fits the part and wear like zip up hoodies and all of that. So like the first year or two, I was in DevRel, I like dressed down. So it was like those two aspects of it, like looks and the job function itself.
1: I can imagine that. It's not a perfect analogy. Dance never is a perfect analogy. I try to make it a perfect analogy, though. It
2: depends how well you want to master a skill, right? Like, if you want to be, like, somebody in the role that you look up to because they are good at mastering how to, I don't know, do, like, some migration with zero downtime. Like, you, there are certain skills you need to do artfully and, and, and well. So I think from the dance comparison, it's like, if you're going to be a ballet dancer, there is a right or wrong, wrong way to do something, Right. But if you're gonna be a freestylist, like maybe it doesn't matter so much, right? So I think you gotta just kind of evaluate what is important to the goal that you have in mind.
1: Well, imitation probably is always the first step, right? And it's just, I would say maybe early on, most people don't actually have the knowledge to know exactly what it is that they should be imitating. Right, they, they're imitating a stereotype in their brain and they don't know exactly what to imitate. And so like early on, maybe what, you're actually learning is what you should be imitating, and then, like as you get more advanced, that's when you get to throw your own variations and flavors. In. Yeah. So, and then at the very end, you become an innovator. So, imitation, variation, innovation.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's like You're right. that's like the musician who starts who grows up on someone else's songs and then they start writing their own.
2: Yeah, I think I'm in the the third phase now. Like I've gained enough credibility, people aren't really raising their eyebrow at my work as much. And so now it's like, I, I'm less afraid to be who I am and dress up when I want to and be proud of my pageant experience and my dance and bring that to the table every day. I mean, I I'd like to say that I have don't always done that, but there was a, a period of hesitation there until I was sure that I had proven myself, for better or worse.
0: Are there some ways, Stephanie, that you would recommend folks like... John and myself and others listening who can be allies of people who are different than us so that they feel safe to be who they are you know at work and otherwise
2: this is why I always tell people to always be authentic and and don't be like me don't be afraid of your passions your interests your identity because like I said, once you control the narrative from the get-go, it leaves little room for interpretation or their own ways of seeing you. So if you can just do that from the beginning, then that's how you change the conversation. And I do think cloud or tech as an industry is changing. I think cloud is very welcoming and very open to people of different backgrounds, non-technical backgrounds, people from different parts of the world, all the stereotypes that have Impacted our perception of technology and our ability to break into it are starting to change, and I attribute that to all of the people that are are extremely open about their journeys into tech and to this podcast as an example too.
1: It's it's such a young industry, right? The the industry is so young that it can't afford to be stayed and stodgy. Maybe that that is uh, my comment. The organizations that are just succeeding have to throw away that part of. You know, even if they have the instinct to do that, they you just can't afford to do it and be successful. You can't say, you know, we're only looking to hire people with 30 years of cloud experience, because yeah, you know, that doesn't exactly. exist.
2: <laughs> that's such a good point. And I, that's why I think I'm lucky to have entered the job market during a time where it was exploding. But yeah, out of pure necessity, they can't look for the traditional engineers of, you know, the last two decades they have to pick the people who are learning these technologies pushing the industry forward eager minded students and young professionals from all parts of the world not just silicon valley or the us
0: to that point stephanie if we go back to the very beginning i have seen a lot of threads on reddit from high school students not knowing What they want to do like they're frustrated that they can't decide what would you tell a high school student about the value of things like internships and apprenticeships based on your experience and how it could boost their career
2: so i struggled with the concept that i had to find my passion in life and that there was only one passion and if i didn't i would be struggling if i did i would never work a real day in my life right And I came to realize down the road that that is such an outdated phrase because there are so many paths in life and everything is temporary if you want it to be. In fact, I was able to find a passion through trying a bunch of different things and just increased effort in these areas. So I would say, I mean, if my journey has taught you anything, it's that you just got to try different things all the time. And if you're teetering between one thing and the other, follow your intuition if it feels right in your heart or if it feels exciting and challenging for you. You know, I did internships in dance and video and tech and then, you know, things just started to happen and ended up in sales engineering and then I went to DevRel. So all of these things were bridged together through me saying yes to things that gave me more visibility or let me play around with cameras more and let me learn about new concepts that felt fun. So in high school, you know, like I had no idea what I wanted to do and I didn't even know what I wanted to major in. I just picked up communications because I was forced to at the end of my sophomore year. I had to pick a major and I was like, I'm just going to go with this one. (laughs) So, you know, you don't have to figure it all out. Life is a journey. I could stop doing tech in the next like three years and I might become a full-time TikToker. So who knows, right? This role that I'm in now didn't even exist four years ago. My, my manager started the team and it just so happened that I crossed paths with him when I started playing around with video content. So do not think about it too much because the next 10 years, the next three years are gonna look totally different than they do now.
1: It's, it's a really interesting observation because Nick asked about somebody in high school and you just pointed out that this role didn't exist four years ago so when you were in high school you it would have been like almost impossible to aspire to this role yeah right you can identify things that you're passionate about and figure out things that you're good at over time and have a little bit of faith that the roles that like might combine those things might not even exist today but you could maybe help create them or they might exist by the time You know you're ready for them
2: yeah exactly i mean in high school you just haven't experienced enough of life yet there's just a whole world out there of different paths you can take you you just haven't even like you're just barely scratching the surface of what life has to offer right so how are you expected to know what your passions are if you haven't even seen like everything that the world has to offer that phrase like the world is your oyster it's It's maybe a little bit (laughs) overdone, but it's true because I was totally scared when I graduated from college because I was like, oh, what do I do now? It's terrifying. And I was actually jealous of the med school students because they already had a set path and the lawyers too. But now looking back, I'm like, thank goodness I didn't do that because like I would have been more committed to that and maybe would have felt like a lot of lost, almost like I I wasted time doing it if I wanted to quit and the sunk cost. And so I'm actually grateful that I had an open-ended future that I could take any path and if the current media landscape has taught me anything it's that you could be a TikToker, you could be a youtuber you could be a business owner you could be an entrepreneur you don't even have to work in corporate america that's the other beauty of it you can make your own position
1: stephanie i think that's kind of a a mic drop moment (laughs) i really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to come talk to us on the journey podcast and uh i really look forward to uh and some point in the future, like asking you uh to come back on and discuss the the next great thing that you're doing. Like we'd be really excited to uh to hear about the next stuff that you're taking, the the new roles you're creating and uh the amazing future that is uh, rolling out.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think like this conversation. Who knows? Maybe next time I talk to you, I will be the expert in IoT devices for underwater basket weaving
0: nice (laughs) that are powered by ai right oh yeah there's
2: always ai involved
1: (laughs) and exclusively explaining about it explaining it on tiktok of course invite
0: in in the proper shards (laughs) if people want to follow up on this conversation stephanie where can they find you
2: they can find me at steph r underscore wong w-o-n-g and that's on twitter um steph r wong on linkedin and TikTok as well. I have a YouTube channel called Stuff You Should Know as well. Nice.
0: We'll make sure we get all those links in the show notes.
2: Great. Thanks so Steph much. Stuff you everyone. should
1: know is amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thank my my partner for thinking of that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> amazing. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. Well, Nick, I thought that that was a fascinating uh, conversation. Absolutely. I really hope that we get a chance to talk to Stephanie again uh, and just keep that conversation going. I thought she had something just you know fascinating to say about finding your own voice by just doing the thing and working out you know the awkwardness and and the things that you don't know in the process of doing the thing there's no way that you can kind of at least my takeaway from that was it's probably not possible to find your voice by just practicing you actually have to do the thing like you know in public you know live you know in production to to figure out like all the things that you need to work out the the rough edges that you need to sand off I don't know if that's what you heard but uh, that's what I heard
0: yeah I think that's part of that feedback loop that comes with the deliberate practice that we've read about in in various books
1: you definitely have to practice but then you definitely have to you you can't just only practice you have to go out and actually do the thing you have to play in the tennis tournament you have to go out and shoot an actual round of golf you have to uh... bless you for using a tennis analogy sir (laughs) did you just do that for me i just did that for you thanks man (laughs) I also found it interesting to hear about her experiences with, you know, bringing a diversity of voice and background into that developer engagement team. You know, maybe having people have, you know, some slight skepticism, you know, about her background in the job because she wasn't a professional developer, but then being able to bring something to that, you know, because not everybody has to have the same background in order to bring value to a position.
0: Yeah, breaking down some of the stereotypes of what a person in job XYZ should look like.
1: Yeah, and then obviously, you know, we had a a really good discussion about um, analogies from dancing, so.
0: Well, yeah, it wouldn't have been complete without that. I mean, that's
1: what made the episode for me. I think that we need to just go out and find more people with technical careers who also have a background in dance, because that... That is the strong common thread that I'm starting to hear. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Speaking of common threads, I, I have to share a really cool story, if if you don't mind. Yeah, please. So as as I was working on the edit for this interview, we were, we were out of town at my wife's friend's house, staying with them for the weekend. So my daughter, 12 years old, and her best friend, same age, were hanging out close to where I was. My daughter comes out over and asked what I was doing and I had audacity open and what are you doing? I'm editing this interview. And she sat down at my computer and I said, I told her a little bit about Stephanie, about her background and about what she does today with the content creation focus. And my daughter goes, I want to do that. And then I let each one of them listen to part of the interview with Stephanie. It wasn't much, right? A couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And her friend goes, Oh, where's she from? Well, she's from the West Coast, from the San Francisco area. And she listens and she goes, she sounds just like us. And I I probably won't ever forget that now because that moment of, oh, wow, here's someone who's like me, who's accomplished something amazing and doing something that sounds so interesting that I never considered before.
1: Yeah, I really like that moment. And I and I just imagine that it's happening over and over again. Hopefully, right? Hopefully, yeah. It's very difficult to believe that you can do something without first seeing somebody like you doing it. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a you know a very important part of diversity, equity, and inclusion is you know finding the people who can um, from diverse backgrounds who can do the thing to kind of welcome in and show to everybody out there that they are welcome to to apply for that position too and and that you too can have a job like this.
0: I was just excited that two 12-year-old girls got excited about something that I was doing, you know,
1: 41-year-old nerd. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Like, I, I want my daughter to think about, you know, a technical career as a real possibility. I'm looking forward to her listening to these podcasts 18 years from now and uh, having the light bulb turn on. That might be too late. 12 years from now. Yeah. That makes more sense. Well,
0: here's what I'm thinking. Why don't you just have them on repeat in, in her nursery? There you go. And she'll just soak them in early and it'll be that yeah. soothing
1: voice that she gets to take in each time. You know, just think yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. That, that sounds like a terrible idea, but um, I will take it under advisement. Thank you very much for that. That advice just watching you on mute laughing your head off is a treat for today. <laughs> that's going to that's going to carry me for the rest of the day. I I also like want to point out something that you know we talked about that kind of emerged at the end which is the idea that when you're in school or or you know thinking about a you know what you should be doing you might have a great job that you are perfect for that has not been created yet. Like it, it just hasn't even been thought of yet. And that idea kind of like buoyed me as well. You know, like there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, we could be good for that just, you know, that pattern hasn't emerged yet. We just have to acquire skills, strive for excellence in whatever it is that we're doing and, and keep dreaming in bands, you know, because, we don't necessarily, you know, the job might not have been created or we might even not know about the job that we're perfect for, you know? And there's somebody out there that's uh, looking for us to do it. So that, like I said, kind of buoyed me.
0: I dig it, man. And sometimes your specialty isn't necessarily some deep technical expertise in one area. Sometimes the specialty is being a generalist. I love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That idea of like, What you're good at is going out and like synthesizing information very quickly and making other people uh, really excited about that with your, you know, explanation and exploration of those topics. Fascinating. That was super exciting. Or
0: maybe your expertise is just making a great observation to see if the guest responds
1: instead of asking a question, right? (laughs) Well, in that case, I have that skill in spades. (laughs) Oh, man. I think that's everything we had planned. Anything pop into your mind while we chatted? Nope, uh, nothing else from me. But I do want to remind people again that uh, we'd like them to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever they happen to be listening. Um, we want to know if, you're, if we're being helpful, and we're always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey, so feel free to reach out to us there.
0: And don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Farewell listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. For the one and only John White at the Journeyman
1: signing off. Adios.